Well, many years ago, many, many years, I gave a gift to a friend of mine, and in fact, it was to a family that had ministered to Sherry and I quite a bit. And the gift that I decided to give them was uh, quite expensive, especially for me at that point. So I purchased the gift. I went over to the family's house, and I snuck into their house. They lived on a farm, so their door was always unlocked. They weren't home, just as uh, I was intending and I put the gift in their living room. And then I wrote a card thanking them for their work in the Lord and thanking them for all that they had done. And then on the very bottom, I said, Christ's ambassador. That was how I noted it. To this day, I don't know if that family knows that I gave it, that gift, and that was the goal of the situation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Generally speaking, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've committed yourself to the Savior of the world, you're an ambassador for him. You represent his kingdom. You are in a foreign land. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven. And our job is ambassadors for Christ, as, as 1 Corinthians 1 puts it, our job is to preach the gospel. That's what our job is on an everyday basis, is to preach the gospel. In fact, that's the very first point today. If, if, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, and you want to be not just an ambassador, but an effective ambassador, you need to preach the name of Jesus boldly. Preach the name of Jesus boldly. We've made it through the book of Acts to the fourth chapter now. We've been through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we're now digging into the fourth chapter. Last week we saw that, that the apostles, uh, that they were preaching throughout the city, that, that people were hearing about God all over, about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the ascension and then Peter and John walked past a guy. A guy who had been sitting at the gate and, and, and had found it as his profession to be a beggar. He had been there for decades. Scripture tells us that he was over 40 years old. And Peter and John, through the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed this man. And this man began leaping around because of the miracle that was done in his life. And everybody knew what had happened because they all knew this guy. 
I, I reckon that this guy was a nice guy because everyone was familiar with him. I bet he was really kind and everyone, they, they planned it in their, their budget, if you will, to give him a little bit something here and there. But how thankful he must have been to be able to walk. Coming into chapter 4, that's the, that's the groundwork of what's about to happen. I'm going to read through the chapter as we go along in the, in the passage or message today. Uh, so we're not going to stand traditionally as we normally do. But I'm going to touch on four things. We've already identified one. Four things of what I think this scripture is teaching us about being effective ambassadors. And I may even throw in a bonus one at the end, if you guys are lucky. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to start with the first verse. And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I love that that word's in there, annoyed. They were annoyed with them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Friends, preach, preach the name of Jesus boldly. Preach the name of Jesus boldly. You know, you can share a great message, uh, this tremendous message that's found in Scripture in so many different ways. Most people, when they come to know Jesus, they don't do it right here where you're sitting, they don't do it in these seats. Most people that come in these seats are believers. Most of you, I would assume all of you, here are believers in Jesus Christ. You trust in in the Lord Jesus. This isn't where you necessarily come to know. it, It does happen. But a majority of time, Christians come to church to be encouraged and to to further their maturation process in who they are as a Christian. Most of the time, If we are going to preach the gospel and be effective, it has to happen at our school. It has to happen at our workplace. It has to happen at the local cafe. It has to happen as you're communicating with people and connecting with family and friends. We need to be bold and confident in in who the Almighty God is and in what He has done. That's if we're going to be effective ambassadors. We have to open our mouths We have to show it with our action. The other day, Maddie and I, Maddie and I went to the Illinois Department of Motor Vehicles in Morris, Illinois, the DMV. And and based on the smirks that I got from most of you just now, the DMV can be a scary place. I'm not sure why. But people sometimes are a little cranky at the DMV. Well, Maddie and I, we were there for two hours. What a joy. But Maddie and I, we are both of a very similar personality. And we made the decision that we were going to affect that place for the good. And when Maddie and I left, two hours later, Maddie with her paper driver's license, they give now, they send it in the mail, with her paper driver's license, she passed the test. Most of those people told us goodbye. 
that were waiting there with us. Because we had built friends there. We had connected with different people. We had asked people questions. We were dying laughing about different stuff. We had greeted everybody in, in some type of fashion. Not everybody, but most people. We, we built an built a environment where if Maddie and I would have shared the gospel, they would have been somewhat receptive to what we were about to say. Because we had created a situation of kindness and love and uh, common care. The, the lady who was sitting next to us, the, um, the mature lady who, who has to get the driver's test every two years or something, she said. She had, we just had a great time with her, encouraging her and, 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 and telling her how great she looked. She had a nice little outfit on, and, and she was ready for her, her new picture she was getting taken. What, what's the last word in this, in, in this point? What is that word? Say it. Boldly. You see, that's something that you and me, we have trouble doing. We could preach the gospel, but sometimes we have trouble doing it boldly. We're going to use Pastor Dave as an example. If I ask Pastor Dave to preach, I think he's preaching in, in November again. November 12th? I'm just going off of my brain here. November 12th, maybe. He's going to preach. And I bet, I bet that Pastor Dave will preach boldly. But you know what? This doesn't make Pastor Dave an effective ambassador to come behind the pulpit and preach boldly. What makes Pastor Dave an effective ambassador is when he is talking on the phone with Comcast. And how he's dealing with them. When he takes his long bike ride up to Lake Geneva and he stops at the Piggly Wiggly. And he has a conversation with them. That's when boldness starts happening. You see, Peter and, and John, they, they knew exactly what was happening in this situation. They knew how antagonistic this situation actually was to the people around them. They understood that Jesus lived. They understood the message he gave. They understood that Jesus died. They understood why he died. They saw Jesus when he was raised from the dead. They saw the resurrection. And they saw him ascend. And they knew boldly that they were going to preach his name. No matter what, nothing was going to stop them. That's the kind of boldness that I'm trying to get to for myself. And hopefully for you as well. That we could be bold in our preaching. In our sharing of the gospel. People have tried stopping people from sharing the gospel forever. I've been tried, been stopped many times or been attempted to be stopped many times. In the school districts and stuff. But when we go back in time, we see that Christians continued preaching the gospel even in the eyes of major persecution, Christians were being sown in, in, in uh, animals' skin. And, and, and then they were fed to hungry dogs. They were burned alive. They were seared with hot irons. They were covered with wax and burned alive uh, just for torches. 
They were pulled apart, beheaded, crucified. Yet, in all of these things and more, they continued preaching the gospel. While they were in the midst of dying, they praised the name of God. Their counterparts continued to preach the word, knowing that they may be the next person dipped in wax. We don't have that here in Shabana, Illinois. We don't have that threat. We may have some weird things that happen. People say weird things. But we're not under that threat. We have a tremendous opportunity, friends. We have a tremendous opportunity to preach the name of Jesus boldly. Are we intentional? Are we speaking it to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers? Truly intentional? Or is that an inconvenience? It's the same question I ask, seems like, week after week. I want to be an effective ambassador. And I fail so much. As, as someone who preaches frequently and often from the pulpit, this isn't me. This isn't my effective post. This isn't where I'm most effective. Hopefully I can get people excited about preaching the word, help people to fall in love with Jesus Christ even more. But my effectiveness has to be within my family, within my friends, and at the school, and while I'm out visiting with people, changing lives. Second, we need to patiently handle those opposed to Christ. Patiently handle those opposed to Christ. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start again with verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were arrested. They put him into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard, we, we heard this already, 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with An Ananias and high priests and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. You see, the apostles, at least from what we can gather from Scripture, they didn't pick a fight with the Sadducees. Peter had learned his lesson just a little bit while before this that you don't do that. Remember Peter? He took his sword and cut off an ear trying to fight. But then Jesus said in John 18, 11, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You see, there's going to be a lot of people in your life that are opposed to Christ. Most people opposed to Christ, they'll, they'll never tell you about it. They won't complain. But others, they will be boldly proclaiming against Christ. There will be those type. The question is, how do you handle them? How do you respond? Are you the type of person that you just want to exasperate them? You want to show how, how smart you are, how good you are, 
I've seen over and over Christians go to Facebook and, and, and proclaim how smart they are, how much smarter they are than that non-Christian. Well, this is the Christian way. When you look at the contrast of being a Christian and not being a Christian, it, it, it isn't like the contrast of Pepsi and Coke. Like, I like Pepsi or I like Coke. I think, I think about my own family. Friend Sherry and I, we have a real issue in our life. It, it's a wedge in our marriage. You see, Sherry... She grew up being an absolute diehard White Sox fan. Me, on the other hand, I listened to my mama. I was a good boy, and I became a diehard Cubs fan. And so we've had a mixed marriage that's held a wedge all these years, these 20 years that we've been married. It's interesting, though. Sherry doesn't watch TV. So therein, she doesn't watch the White Sox. But I'm pretty sure that Sherry, like most White Sox fans, their only goal, they don't care if they win or lose, their only goal is that the Cubs do lose. And they want them to be embarrassed. Sherry was so cheering that the Cubs would lose so she could stop hearing Go Cubs Go being played after every game. But you know what, friends? I mean, I can remember being a Cubs fan in 1982. But I'd give all that up. I would never watch another Cubs game. I'd never talk about the Cubs again if I knew that I could truly bring someone to know Jesus Christ if I gave that up. That's the contrast that we're trying to get to. we got to figure out where that point is, where... When you start having those arguments, iPhone versus Android, or politics, where it is so antagonistic, you have lost all of your ability to preach the gospel, to be patient with those who are opposed to Jesus Christ. Peter and John understood it. You see, when they were arrested, at least from what we can read in Scripture... They were patient, and they handled those Sadducees very well. Based on other scriptures that we read, maybe they were even singing while they were uh, sitting in the prison overnight, rejoicing. But what did they get out of their arrest? You see, these two fishermen, these two nobodies, Common people got the audience uh, of, of the most formal, the most uh, taught and learned people in the entire area. If these men would have been antagonistic and would have fought their way, they would have never been able to be put into, in front of them and asked a question and be able to respond in a, an appropriate way. You see, they accepted the situation that God had put them in. And they were able to get an audience of all of these people 
and be able to preach the gospel in a bold way. I think of Joseph. You guys remember Joseph and how he responded? Joseph, Jacob's son, how he responded when he was put in prison, unfairly put in prison. He spent, what, 13 years in, in prison, and, and then finally he got the ear of the Pharaoh. But it wouldn't have happened if he would have been antagonistic, if he would have been whining along the way the whole time. If he would have been looking for ways, God, how are you using this? How are you using this? What are you doing? Don't you ask that question all the time? God, okay, God, how are you using this? It's just a change in perspective. Wait a minute. God, you are the almighty God. You know everything. You are in this. And I will follow you. And I will be patient and wait for you to be glorified somehow in this process. That's where we need to get to. How do you respond? That's the question. How do we respond when trouble hits? When we're trying to deal with people that maybe anger us? When you think people are treating you poorly or with disregard, how are you responding? Do you think that you're better than them? And if so, do you think if you have a reaction to them where you, you put them down, that you're going to have any chance in the world to share the gospel with them at a later time? If we go back to the DMV for a minute, I didn't tell you that that was my fourth trip to the DMV in two weeks. My fourth trip, due to some errors in the state paperwork that was done. You see, Jacob and, and Maddie are both getting their driver's license. And the first time I took Jacob, a couple weeks ago. I took Jacob to there, and he's all excited because he's going to get his driver's license before Maddie does, which is great. He's, he's actually two weeks younger, but they had to wait for a permit situation. So we go in there at 3.55, I think it was. Jacob got off the school bus, and, and we zoomed right into Morris. And we walk up to the counter all excited. And the guy looks at me and goes, sorry, we're cutting it off. No more, no more tests today. I looked at him like, huh? He goes, yeah, we normally go to 4.30, but... Uh, we're short-handed. In that moment, I could have responded with being annoyed, like the Sadducees. I, I could have been angry. I could have just been rude. But for whatever reason, I responded with grace, kindness, and respect. Knowing that this man probably had no control over what the situation was. He probably didn't say, I only want three people working here. He probably didn't make the decision that we're done with driving. Maybe he did. But it seemed like it was out of his control. And you know, that guy I saw three other times. Those people that 
were sitting alongside, they were all there all four times that I was there. And they all saw how I responded. Every single one of those people know my name now. Because I've had conversations with all of them. They know how I smile and how I laugh. And I've got to go back there one more time. Jacob still doesn't have his license, so I'm going to make it number five because of a paperwork issue. Uh, I won't say whose fault that was. It wasn't ours. But you know what? We have an opportunity. And Maddie and I may have missed that opportunity to preach the gospel. But we've given ourselves an opportunity to share with them. We were not antagonistic. We weren't disrespectful. We've given ourselves an opportunity. And Peter and John, they gave themselves a chance to preach the gospel in front of people that needed to hear it, in front of great leaders. Preach the name of Jesus, friends, boldly. Be patient with those that don't know Jesus. And third, point to the power of the risen king. Point to the power of the risen king. Acts 4, we're going to start with verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were on the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Well, there's been so many times in my life, friends, that I've wanted to be recognized. I wanted recognition. Have you ever had that situation where you just wanted to be the one recognized? Maybe you, you clean the leaves for the neighbors. You just snuck over there and cleaned out all the leaves. This is a good time for that. And you were just hoping that someone would look out the window and see you cleaning those leaves. Maybe you've, you, you've uh, cleaned the house for your mom and dad when you were a kid and, and you cleaned the, cleaned the house and, and, and they got home from, from wherever they were at and and they forgot to recognize you because they got busy with something as soon as they walked in. They forgot to say something kind. But you want to remind them of what you did. Here's a trivia question. In fact, I've got a prize. Whoever can answer this trivia question, Josh, you're looking at the script. He raises his hand. I didn't even ask the question. Who hit the winning run in the 2016 World Series championship? Who hit the winning run? Who had the winning RBI? Come on. For the Chicago Cubs. Who is it? 
Zobris. Wrong. What, what's his name, Bill? He is Miguel Montero. Bill, you get these bad boys. You see, Ben Zobris is who we celebrate. He hit the run to go ahead. But Miguel Montero, the next at bat, hit one through the shortstop and scored the winning run because Cleveland scored in the bottom of the 10th. One run. But no one talks about Miguel. In fact, he's off the team. But I thought about that after every single video I watched. Everyone talked about Ben Zobris. And I'm not sure why. I mean, Ben obviously had a great series. He was the MVP. But what do you think Miguel thought? Wait, wait, wait a minute. I hit the winning RBI. You see, that's what we try to do all time in our life. We're, we're constantly trying to say, oh my goodness, look at me. What about me? Didn't I do a good job? In our scripture, Peter and John healed a guy that couldn't walk for 40 years. Don't you think that they should be saying, we're pretty good. Man, this guy, he's walking now. In fact, look at him. Look at him. Look at, hey, look at that. He's leaping. I imagine he put up uh, standards for the 50-yard uh, hurdles. He, he's just testing it out. Yet Peter and John, they never talk about what they did. Did you catch that? They never say, we healed this man in the name of Jesus. They don't even say that. They, they, they say, how was he? How was he healed? Is that what you're asking? Jesus Christ. The one you guys crucified. The one that has been risen from the dead. He healed this man. They're always pointing to the risen king. Can we do that? That's hard. Instead of trying to gain an edge at work because of your hard work, you want everyone to kind of see, hey, wow, that person, whew, they're really working hard. Can you do it and just get it done because you're honoring Christ? Whenever I'm in a public restroom, most times, if I see paper towels on the ground, I grab a clean paper towel. And then I use that paper towel to clean up the others. Maybe the women's room doesn't have that, but guys, yeah, we're slobs. And so we throw them all around. And I catch myself sometimes saying, hey, maybe someone will walk in and see me cleaning up. That, that's just the, that's the pr little pride that's sneaking in. You want someone to catch you doing something good. How about me? I preach a sermon. Maybe I feel really good about it. Am I looking for a pat on the back? Is that my goal? Am I looking for you to say, ah, oh, 
boy. Great job. But what's my goal? Isn't it to give honor and glory to the king? Isn't that, shouldn't that be my goal? Now, if you see someone doing something great, let me make sure I don't take this out. Encourage them, love them, give them attaboys. That's, that's a different job. That's a completely different job. That is our job, is to encourage others. It, it is to lift them up. I told Tim Bedall many years ago, he would always ask me uh, about his sermons because he wanted, he really wanted constructive criticism. And I told him, I'm sorry, my, I, I prayed about this and my job is to be your encourager. So I will always encourage you. And to this day, I've always just been his encourager. For whatever reason, that has been my role. There are roles where you constructively criticize something. You guide somebody towards something in a mentor relationship. But our job is to encourage. But from a different vantage point, our job is to be humble. And and to put ourselves where, where we're supposed to be. Because I know that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And you know what? He is the king. Not me. And not you. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'm queen, though. No, you're not queen either. We're just peasants who have the high honor of being recognized by the king every single moment. And that's an awesome thing. But we need to continuously give him all the glory. Not in fake ways. Because that could have, oh, it's by God's grace I was able to do this. No, we need to, it needs to come deep inside of us. It needs to happen so deep. If your kid wins the spelling bee, go out and celebrate and cheer and honor them. But I'll tell you what, the person who won the spelling bee, understand that it was the almighty God who gave you the gift to be able to remember all those words. Finally, just before our extra bonus point, if you would like to be an effective ambassador for Christ, you need to praise God even in the sight of persecution. Praise God. Let's go back to Acts 4 one last time today. We're going to start with verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness, there's the, there's the word boldness again. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. That's the Sadducees, all those leaders. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the men who, had, who was healed beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. You see, they didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. They didn't believe that Jesus was God. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, 
Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You see, the, the Bible teaches you and I a lot of different things. But one of the things the Bible doesn't teach us is all about the fate, the death of the apostles. It teaches us about two of the apostles, Judas. Judas hung himself after he betrayed Jesus. And James, the son of Zebedee, we saw that he was executed by Herod. But history has taught us about Paul being beheaded, about Peter being crucified upside down, Andrew being crucified, Thomas speared, Philip arrested and killed in a horrible way, Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia, and James was stoned to death, and Matthias, well, he was burned alive. Why would these men who witnessed the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why would they be de defending a lie? Why? You know, when I became a believer, I started following Jesus Christ, there was still something in me that wasn't 100% convinced in my head for some reason. My heart was given over, but my brain, my logical, my analytical thoughts was having some trouble. And there was a man at, at Bible camp, family Bible camp. And he told the class, and he went into great detail about all the apostles. And it was at that moment that, that my brain finally understood, not just my heart, my brain, that the man, capital M, the king, the savior, Jesus Christ, he was absolutely for real. It, it, it took me to understand what these men actually went through. And, and the great lengths that they did. And knowing that they wouldn't do this for a lie. They wouldn't die in the face of that kind of persecution if it wasn't true. Maybe all at once. Maybe if they all died at one time, they could have been tricked. But this happened over the years. Knowing what each other has been doing. They spread the gospel into multiple countries. I don't know if the story is true or not. I heard it, heard it one time that in Asia, maybe it was in China, that these men came into a room, a home church, where these people were praising and singing songs of Jesus. Just a bunch of Christians, and, and these men came in with machine guns. And they broke down the door, and, and they started screaming at all the people. They said, if you're a Christian, you can stay here and die. If you're not a Christian, you can leave and be free. And about half the people left the room, left the house. And these men kept screaming at them, getting ready to shoot them. Finally, they had them all sit down on their knees and face the other direction. And they gave them one more chance. And at that point, one person 
said, okay, I'm going to leave. And as that person left, the people put their machine guns down and said, we just needed to make sure who were Christians. We are Christians. And we wanted to worship with real Christians, and we didn't want to risk our lives with all the fakes. How about you? What about you? Can you praise God even in the sight of persecution? I'm not talking about someone pointing a gun at you, asking you to renounce, renounce your faith. Most likely that's not going to happen. It could. I'm talking about your ability to praise Jesus in the midst of your family mocking you. In the midst of your workplace saying, you know, maybe they don't say it, that you will not get the promotion if you praise Jesus. Are you willing, no matter what, to praise God? Peter and John, they were warned. They were threatened multiple times. We'll see next week, I think it is, that they were whipped, flogged, and beat because they kept doing it. Here's what Peter and John said, just to remind you. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to listen to my authorities in this case. All I know, this is what he says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There was nothing else they could do. They didn't have any other choice in their mind. That was all they could do. They didn't, it didn't matter if they were going to be ripped apart. They were going to preach the truth. And that's where we have to get to is, are we so sold out? Are we at a point where we're sold out in the truth of Jesus Christ and his life, death, resurrection, and ascension that it doesn't matter? That we just preach it. That we don't let anyone or anything stop us. Bonus time. There's a bonus way to be an effective ambassador, and that's to pray often and read the Bible. That's not found directly here in Scripture that we've read today. And I won't go into great details about it, friends. You guys know it. You're pretty smart. But if we are going to preach the name of Jesus boldly, we need to pray. We, we need to, to dig into God's word. Because otherwise, we can't preach it boldly. If you're going to patiently handle those opposed, you're patiently handle that person that you just know is totally against the gospel, you need help. You need help from God. And that comes through constant prayer. And reading of the word. You see, the more you're in communion with the king, the more humble you'll become. I firmly believe this. The less 
that I am communion with, with Jesus Christ, with his word, the more prideful I become. And the opposite is definitely true. When I am seeking the Lord, when I am bowed down before him, when I am reading his word, I understand my place. And I understand his kingship. And the more humble that you become, the more opportunities you will have to give him total glory. And by all means, when you're actively seeking a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter the persecution. It doesn't matter what people say, how people act. You're going to praise Jesus Christ. Friends, let's become effective ambassadors together.